1: Welcome to another episode of Amazon Legends. Uh, My next guest today uh, was actually elected emerging entrepreneur of the year 2019 uh, for the Elevator Awards. And he founded and sold Beast Gear. And this was the first acquisition by Trasio in Europe. And he now works with sellers strategically to maximize their business value. So he's also a nature nerd. Music and exercise fan all together. I'm sure he's found a way to do them all at the same time. We're maybe <laughs> running in the nature while listening to music. So, everybody, meet my guest, Ben Leonard. Welcome to the show, Ben.
0: It's good to be here, Nick. Thanks for having me.
1: So, you built an Amazon business and sold it for big bucks. And uh, now you advise sellers to be able to do the same. So, Uh, If you could share with us one piece of advice for Amazon sellers building their private label, what would that be?
0: Make lemons, make lemonade out of lemons. There you go. When you've got, when uh, life gives you lemons, make lemonade. That's a better way to put it. Yeah.
1: So what does that mean in terms of a seller? So define the lemon for the seller, and then we'll obviously figure out the lemonade.
0: Yeah, it means embrace difficulties because I see people posting all the time in the Facebook groups and the Reddit and the Discord chats when they're talking about e-commerce and particularly Amazon about how difficult things are. You know, they're banging their head off a brick wall. They've come up against this latest obstacle. And you can't change that. It will always be like that, especially with Amazon. Amazon is can be really tricky at times. And so rather than get so downhearted when there are difficulties, consider that maybe that difficulty is going to end up being an advantage for you. And actually, the obstacle is the way, right? Which is actually the name of a really great philosophy book by Ryan Holiday, The Obstacle is the Way.
1: So so let me give you an example. So tell me this, how this becomes uh, an opportunity. So just one of the latest uh, posts in one of the Facebooks. Facebook groups that I'm in. The, the guy says, I have seven pictures. Mm-hmm. I uploaded them. Well, I put them in my flat file. Mm-hmm. It shows up in Seller Central. And when I go to the listing, one of them doesn't show up. Yep. So why? Now, obviously, it's very frustrating So tell me how this obstacle becomes an opportunity. It becomes, well,
0: straight off the bat, that particular obstacle, whilst incredibly annoying at the time, becomes a learning opportunity. Because every time you have a difficulty in e-commerce, it's an opportunity for you to learn. And consider that many, many, many of your competitors will just, as soon as they come across an issue like that, they'll just give up. And this is why I talk to sellers all the time who have, really under optimized listings for example images as you've just mentioned and i say why are you not using all of your image slots or why is your a plus content or enhanced brand content missing this this or this or why have you not uploaded your video to this section and the answer they got they gave me is oh well i had a problem and i submitted a ticket and i didn't hear back so i just left it
1: okay so let let's because this is everybody's Pain point that I see it online. I also hear from my clients, and I experience it with my clients. When we're doing stuff, things don't always work. So, take this example of the image is not showing up. So, how do you? Wh- what would you do with this so that it becomes something that you learn from?
0: Well, the first thing I would do is exactly what this person has done. They they've gone to the community to find out. You know, I guess the hierarchy of of, of trying to figure these issues out, if we're going to get like really nitty gritty for a minute with like specific issues when it comes to Amazon, I think for me, the path is is simply one, ask people personally who I know who are also e-commerce or Amazon sellers. So that might be in WhatsApp groups or messenger groups, that type of thing. Two is go broader, go to Facebook groups and they need to be good ones. There's plenty of terrible Facebook groups out there. But make sure that, you know, sense check the advice you get there because a lot of people give terrible advice in these groups. And if you don't solve it those ways, YouTube, it's a phenomenal resource. There are so many great YouTube channels which will teach you. You you search for your problem and chances are somebody solved it and they put it on YouTube for you. The next stage is probably go to some kind of an expert, like an ex-Amazonian who specializes in fixing these kind of issues. You know, Chris McCabe is a great one, for example. And finally finally submit a ticket to amazon Mm
1: -hmm. so um okay i mean i I, there's a few things so just playing devil's advocate for the listeners benefit so um you're right there are so many facebook groups and a lot of them are really just mediocre at best Uh, however it's also not about the group but the, the people in the group, right? Some some of them may be really good, but some of them not so good. Some of them simply don't know. And so differentiating between the people who are posting in that group. So when you post a question, you're going to get a bunch of answers. How do you know which one to trust? I guess you could look for some kind of consensus, right?
0: Yeah, look for consensus. But also make sure that you, you know, and you can do this in Facebook groups, right? You can look back, you can click on a specific person, even if you're not their friend on Facebook, but you can see what has been their activity in the group. So then you can go back and see, well, what else is this person saying? And does it generally make sense? Or is this a person who's just kind of regurgitating something they, they think they've learned somewhere else, which may be completely out of date? or completely false, or hopefully they're not, and this is unlikely, but hopefully they're not trying to give you some sort of malicious answer that's going to mess it up even more for you. A lot of this is just using common sense.
1: Yeah, and you mentioned YouTube as the next thing. Now, with YouTube, there is a lot of outdated information because once you upload something to YouTube, let's say Amazon comes up with something about how to you know, update item data and now the next thing is, like the easiest one is search terms, right? So search terms, now you have so many characters. Before, it was different. So if you find a video that's outdated, that's the danger. So how would you avoid that? those situations?
0: I would be ensuring that you are watching a video that is recent. I would check if the video that you have watched, I would go look at the channel for whoever has created that video and see if they have created a new video with an updated version. And I would search around and find channels which are frequently updated and subscribe to them. So my favorite channel for specific nitty gritty tactics is Stephen Pope's channel, my Amazon guy. Um, Other than that, I subscribe to a lot of channels which sort of provide more broad general advice rather than specific tactics. And then they don't go out of date, right? So it's about having a balance between business principles, which are timeless, and then specific tactics and making sure you're staying up to date
1: yeah and uh and the next one that you mentioned is go to the experts. so chris mccabe you mentioned he's a former amazonian uh in fact he used to be a seller performance guy right
0: yes that's right and so yeah. you know he, he's a great one um for instance and um there's quite a few you know have a quick search around for for us because i'm a big fan of talking to 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 two groups of people. One is ex-Amazonians who actually understand if your problem is like a specific Amazon thing and trying to either fix a glitch or find a human being in Amazon who's actually going to talk sense to you instead of some terrible copy-paste.
1: So Chris is uh, one of the former seller Performance team members. So he helps a lot of people, right?
0: Yeah, and... I'm a big fan of of advising people to speak with ex-Amazonians if it's like an issue, some sort of a glitch in Amazon, or you're desperately trying to contact a human who's going to give you a real answer instead of a copy-paste answer. So Chris, John Durkitz, who's our uh, deal director for North America Econ Brokers, he's ex-Amazon, for example, so he's a big help for us. And on the other hand, the other group of people I love to direct uh, sellers who have difficulties to talk to is Sellers who actually have a track record of having been there and done it. And they've probably come across many of these issues. And so that's, again, when you're looking, at, if you are looking at a Facebook group or a subreddit or a Discord or on the Amazon groups or YouTube or whatever, check the credentials, do a bit of Googling around as to who this person is. Do they know what they're talking about or are they just some guy?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, experience is everything, right? So uh, yeah. it's it's about knowing what's coming your way before yeah. it hits you in the yeah. face. So, uh, and then you said, finally, seller support, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, actually, let me just slightly rewind and say, I would submit a ticket first straight away because it's it's that takes a few minutes, hopefully, if it's a small issue, and you know you might get you might get a decent response. And meanwhile, while you're waiting for a response, go and do all the other things we spoke about. And I do find seller support is pretty difficult, and we love to complain about it as sellers, but we also have to remember that that is the that. The difficulty of seller support is the tax we pay for the enormous opportunity that Amazon gives us, right? Mm -hmm. You know, most e-commerce businesses who are on Amazon will have well in excess of 80% of their sales, sometimes well in excess of 95% of their sales are from Amazon. So we shouldn't complain too much.
1: Yeah, I I agree. So one little tip that I kind of discovered myself, and now I advise everybody to to do it, is whenever I have an issue, usually it's not something that uh, is simple. It has either there's a file or there's a record or there's an ASIN. First of all, they will ask you what the ASIN is anyway. So uh, what I always say is get all the facts in an email in yep. their ticket, create that ticket and send that ticket right after sending that ticket. But make sure you write that properly, because as you know, English is very important in your communication with Amazon. It's three mm. paragraphs. Tell them what you are going to tell them and what you're asking for, and then tell them what it is. And then in the end, ask specifically, and then end the message with a question mark. Uh, A lot of people just vent in those emails and then it doesn't go anywhere. So follow that format and then submit any attachments or anything. Uh, Make it specific, very specific as far as what the issue is and the the data around it. Submit that ticket and then take that case number, create another ticket and then in that ticket, just say, uh, uh, please refer to case number, blah blah blah, for details. And then create another ticket except request a callback. So in most sellers will have that email, phone option, of email and call option. So yes. I say immediately uh, create that new ticket and then but this time request a callback. Do not say this uh, issue requires urgent attention because you're going to be making it urgent anyway when you call uh, in the first case. And then call, request a call back. It will immediately call you back. And then whenever uh, you get the call back, you just tell them, can you take a look at that case? In in, in this case itself, it's associated with another one. Uh, I'll just wait. I'll let you read it understand it, and then I'm happy to answer the questions. Then I just sit and wait. I don't get aggravated. I don't do anything. Great advice. And then the person says, okay, thank you very much. Just give me a minute. And then they come back and they'll tell you, okay, I understand the issue. Uh, leave that with me. I have to escalate this, whatever, whatever. And then at least you have not been frustrated in the process,
0: <laughs> yeah. And you I, know that a human somewhere has read it. Whether or not it's actually going to get you anywhere is another thing. But at least right. you know a human has read it.
1: <laughs> right. That's why. My, my, that's my method. So uh, I I agree with you. I will do that first, and then go through the motion. So the reason I get I got into this is because you started off by saying I make lemonade out of lemons. Yeah. So. This is a methodology, right? What we are advocating for is first of all, shift that mindset. And now you have a toolkit or sequence of events that that you engage one after the other when something goes wrong. Instead of feeling like, oh my God, I'm the victim again. Amazon is targeting me, right? So that will increase your value. Also, it will impact your team, right?
0: Absolutely. And, and then, you know, to, you can get extra lemonade from this. So when you come across these issues, you can double your lemonade by making sure that you keep meticulous records of what happened with each case. So that when something similar or even the same happens in the future, you and your team have a reference point. OK, this is what we did. These are the things that didn't work, but this is what did work. And now we can make this work. Yeah. Solve our issue
1: yeah absolutely uh so in other words create your playbook of how to deal with yeah. amazon yeah. small or large uh, you know now what to do so uh give us some examples so in terms of i mean you are the big picture guy in terms of okay you're running a business you're running into these situations but your main message is whatever the difficulties you have uh, embrace it do not have the mindset of frustration and you know, just revolt against it. Instead, just embrace it and learn it and get good at it, and then turn it into a play. That's what you're saying. Why does that increase the value of your business?
0: Because ultimately, when you overcome these difficulties, there are opportunities on the other side of them. So you know, let's let's take a, the specific example you gave me before: the guy in that Facebook group who's having problems with his images. If he just gave up, he'd have an an under-optimized listing. He actually jumps through the hoops, overcomes the barrier to get that fixed. He's going to have a better listing, which is going to result in a better conversion rate, more sales, more profitability. The flywheel will spin. His business will generate more top line and bottom line, which makes it more valuable. Mm -hmm. And you can apply that thinking to pretty much any obstacle you come across in your business.
1: So uh, give us some examples of... The work that you currently do with sellers, uh, how, uh, what is common? What is it that people focus on that really does not bring much value, but how do you help them?
0: Well, one thing that I see a lot of is people approaching us and saying, I heard people are, are uh, there are organizations out there that will, will pay me a lot of money for my business. Can you take a look? And we take a look. And there's a few problems. The, the first problem is that their business is not worth anything near what they think it is because it's actually really t- still too small. Being small in and of itself is not a problem. just means you've got some work to do to get bigger. But then the key underlying problem that we see is people, not all, but a lot of people are still living in this, this past era from sort of between 2014 and 17-ish of sell stuff on the internet and make some money. There's sort of nothing wrong with that but you ain't going to build a sustainable business that's actually worth something because what investors want is a brand they want sustainability they want longevity they want a raving cult-like following of fans who are loyal to your brand feel excited about your brand maybe even love your brand and will continue to buy products from you and a brand which isn't just stuff selling on, on amazon it's not just an amazon account but which they can sell on all sorts of different channels, maybe even in retail, all over the world. So the key that I think people need to focus on really is brand.
1: Okay, so what you are saying is, do not focus on profit or sales, focus on building value.
0: You do need to think about profit. You need a profitable and growing business for it to be of interest to a buyer. But when you underpin that with a strong brand identity, the business becomes that much stronger. I mean, if if you think about it this way, if you sell some stuff with no real brand identity and nothing that you would consider, you know, if people think about what are your favorite hobbies and interests, I bet you have some favorite brands associated with that, right? If you're into fishing, I bet you have some favorite brands that produce your fishing gear. I bet you have some favorite food brands that are sitting in your cupboard right now. How do those brands look, feel, behave, and what assets do they have in terms of a website, social media, email marketing, et cetera, et cetera? If you're not doing that, then there's no word of mouth. There's no loyalty. There's no attachment. There's no excitement. There's no repeat custom. And if you do do that, then the profitability, the growth that you just mentioned, that will come that much faster and that much more sustainably, and you can be a lot more sure that it's going to be there in the future. So a buyer will find it a much more attractive proposition to invest in.
1: Yeah. I mean, uh, at the end of the day, uh, you're talking about, well, there's two, as you know, there's two business models if you're selling on Amazon or frankly anywhere else. You either buy and resell mm. items that are in demand or you create your own brand and sell the items under your brand, which they call private label. So uh, there is no value. You're not building value in a reseller operation, right? That's, that's the bottom line.
0: The Pretty much. There are some huge reseller organizations out there, and there is, there is some value attached to the IP they have created. They've created incredible systems and processes and methodologies and even their own tech for identifying products they want to buy and then resell. Yeah. But it is significantly more difficult to sell that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So uh, that means the business model becomes build your own private label. So uh, I mean that's what we tend to talk about on this on the show. We are always talking about how to build a uh, a successful Amazon account for your private label products. And how to scale it that's our subject uh, so but even there are differences between them And just because you, you you decided to create your own private label that's not enough right so you have to do it the right way and then you also have to be able to scale it so uh, give us the the difference in the value that people create based on their, how they handle it. So give us some examples. Like this one was a private label business, but um, this is what they were doing, which really impacted their value. Can you share some of those?
0: Yeah. um, Had a client who had over 120 million views on TikTok. And that added a significant element to their brand identity and it added a significant uh amount of momentum to the flywheel of their business and it wasn't you know some buyers might have said oh well we're gonna have to keep putting in effort to move this TikTok flywheel but actually they had a team and a set of automations and processes in place to ensure that they were constantly creating that content and their strategy was applicable to any and all social media channels. So it worked on YouTube, worked on TikTok, worked on Instagram, worked on Pinterest, worked on social media channels that haven't even been invented yet. And that made that business worth more than another business that might've been in the same niche doing the same sales and profit. But you're able to get a much higher multiple for it because it's looking and behaving and acting like a true CPG brand rather than Somebody who has slapped a label on something called it a brand and they think they have a brand They, you know, I a lot of people they, they think I've got brand registry and I have a trademark, woo, I have a brand. It's like, well, mm. you don't really, um, yeah. until you start actually behaving like a brand.
1: Uh, give us some, uh, we, we had a guest a while ago, he was going through certain parameters to value a business, uh, an Amazon business, private label business. Yeah. Uh, what are the so imagine you are doing surgery on an Amazon business? What are yeah. the things that you're looking at to determine its value? And what should that be? The, the values that you're looking at?
0: Yeah, we, we want to look at the seller's discretionary earnings, right? And so that is also known as EBITDA. Um, essentially, seller's discretionary earnings is an adjusted EBITDA. And some people listening will not know what on earth I'm talking about, but with Crushing Earnings is commonly abbreviated to SDE. So you might hear that flying around quite a lot, which is essentially your net income plus something called add backs and something called adjustments. For if people want to do a sort of a back of an envelope calculation in their head right now, call it your profit, right? Just, just it's not your profit. But call it your profit, right? Until you've actually spoken to to the likes of us who can actually help you calculate your true SDE. So I mentioned two other words there that people might be bamboozled about. What are addbacks and what are adjustments? Addbacks, when we're valuing the business, when we're calculating your SDE, we add back or rather we remove from the lost part of your profit and loss sheet costs which a new owner won't take on because either they were one-off, so you paid for that trademark, you paid for that video shoot, you paid for that legal consult. New owner is not going to have to do that ever again. Let's wipe that off of the lost part of the p and sheet. Or they are recurring, but it's not going to apply to the new owner. Your monthly accountancy fee, new owner has already got an accountant. Your monthly mastermind fee, new owner is not going to be in your mastermind. Your Helium 10 subscription, new owner is not going to need that, right? right. For instance, right? And then there's adjustments. So that's when it's the job of your broker, if you're working with a good one, to squeeze as much value out of the business as they can and search for opportunities to adjust your SDE up. So, for example, suppose typically we value a business, we calculate this SDE based on your last 12 months business performance. Well, suppose three months ago, you managed to negotiate a new lower price on a product. Well, it wouldn't be fair to you if the new owner is going to get the benefit of that lower price and hence higher profit going forward, but it's only contributing three months to the last 12 of your SDE. So we would adjust back the way as if every sale you made in the last 12 months, you bought that item at the new lower price and that pushes your SDE up, mm. which when we apply a multiple and multiples in e-commerce right now are sort of between two and six. So let's, let's say we apply a three and a half multiple you're going to potentially add hundreds of thousands if not millions to your sde which is quite remarkable oh, sorry to your to the value of your business which is is incredible really
1: yeah okay so you you start with the adjusted profit calculation to determine the, yep. the value of it so what else do you look at in terms you of- want to
0: know about growth we want yeah. to know about growth. So we want year on year growth to be, you know, at least 20% um, business uh, potential buyers want to see growth and they want to see growth potential. So I like to talk to sellers about what can we, let's set up some levers that a buyer can easily pull after they've bought your business to get a faster return on their investment which does two things. One, it makes the buyer happy and therefore more likely to buy your business. But two, it means you're more likely to hit any earnout targets. And three, it makes your business more valuable because a buyer is willing to pay more for it because they can see the growth opportunity. Mm -hmm. So it might be you've developed a bunch of products that the new owner can launch and you might even be able to consult with them on launching them. It might be that your brand is not yet selling on certain channels, but the new owner has bigger resources to get you selling on those channels or to move you internationally, for example. Those are just a few
1: examples. Mm. So I, I have a, a question on this. So let's say that you you you're successfully managing your Amazon operation. You've got five SKUs that you're doing very well, a couple of parent with few variations under it. And yes. And you want to sell the business, but at the same time you have three other SKUs that you started to develop, but you don't really have the marketing budget to launch them, or you don't have whatever the case may be. They are sitting, you know, on the sidelines waiting for you. Yep. Which one is worth more? A business with a a good operating. Uh, seller with those opportunities on the side versus a business that have realized those opportunities now even grown further but no growth opportunity which one is that val- more valuable because the time is gonna be the, the cost right so we, what is better for the seller to should I just execute this I know how to do this but yeah uh, you know how much yeah. more is it going to add to my evaluation?
0: What is it? so if you're if you're sitting there with a good business and some opportunities to grow it more and you have the resources to do so, then do so. And I don't think you'll run out of growth opportunities for a new buyer because if it's your business, you're constantly going to be you should be constantly iterating ideas, and there will always be opportunities, whether that's new products, new channels. New countries, more IP, working with different influencers, improving your marketing, etc. Right? There's always going to be opportunities. It's about how you spin that and how your broker spins that to potential buyers. When they're a good broker, should be marketing your business, not just kind of listing it on a website. Your other point about a business that doesn't really have any of these opportunities, I, I, I don't think that exists. I think there are businesses that have fewer opportunities, but there's always an opp- an opportunity. It's just about how easy it is for a new owner to take that opportunity and whether it has been set up nicely for them to pull the lever, or is there going to be actually quite a lot of work for them to do? Cause they don't want to do that work. They'll just move on to the next o- opportunity of a business to buy.
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, entrepreneurs not never run out of ideas. There's always something on the side, but it may not be right. So I guess my, my uh, what I'm questioning is, because we are in technology space, right? At the end mm-hmm. of the day, you are selling merchandise, but it's all about technology. and there's all these big boys, Amazon, Walmart, things are happening and then that you know, uh, and Amazon has an ecosystem. So um, I'm just wondering, you know, I'm doing X number of dollars in sales. This is a this is a viable acquisition candidate. And I've got these three other things on the side. You know what? I don't know what's going to happen two years from now by the time I built those three. I'm yep. better off taking the money now versus, no, I'm going to keep going. That's the judgment call. I, I wonder which one is a better idea.
0: Well, yeah. And that's the judgment call. And every business is different. And what's important to help you make that judgment call is a couple of things. One is sitting, taking a step back, having a cup of tea. <laughs> asking yourself <laughs> what do I value what are my goals what are my aspirations what's right for me and my family asking yourself honest questions about what you the strength of your business the potential it has what's going on in your industry and what might happen in your industry and also the buyer you know you need to be doing your due diligence on a buyer as well as them doing due diligence on you you need to be asking them questions and figuring out if they are the right buyer operationally to take the business where it could go. Because if they are, then you can have your cake and eat it. Because the right broker who will connect you with the right legal expert when you're um, negotiating the final deal will make sure that the deal is structured such that you can benefit on the upside.
1: Yeah. So, okay. So we talked about the profit. We talked about the growth potential and then how it impacts... Uh, what else do you look at when you are evaluating a business?
0: We're looking at uh, so brand growth. We want to make sure that the business, the, you know, what, how risky is the business, right? What niche is it in? Is it at risk of the products becoming obsolete because of for technical, technological reasons, for example? What about issue, legal issues? Have there been legal disputes? Um, how's your IP position? That type of thing. And buyers want to know all of this. So it's important that that is kind of sorted out early doors. So um, how
1: does, uh, if you have your trademark, you know, a lot, a lot of sellers get invited. Now you can just have an application with a serial number and you'll get invited to brand registry. Uh, what is the impact as a percentage, if you can give us uh, someone who has uh, an issued trademark versus someone who is pending?
0: Pending versus issued. Um, I think if I'm being honest, buyers have, it's a buyer's market, right? And they have a lot of opportunities. And if they can be, they will will run it through their legal counsel. And if they can be confident that the trademark is going to come through, then they probably still execute the deal. Mm. But if there's any hesitancy, they either won't do the deal or they'll, they'll wait or the the even by the t- if they wait even by the time you've got your trademark through they might have moved on to other opportunities which is why you know you should be getting that shouldn't even be an issue because your trademarks and your patents should be under control way before you come to try and sell your business
1: i see okay so your advice is make sure your trademark is all signed sealed delivered it yeah. shows up on uspto uh, yeah. then otherwise don't even uh, consider. I yeah, I mean,
0: that should be like first few, before you even sold a product to to anyone, right? You, you should be applying for your trademarks.
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, I would, before they made the latest change, you know, you would go through IP Accelerator. That would just get you on brand registry and then you would operate as if you own the trademark. But uh, now as long as you have something you can get in there, but that doesn't mean that, you know, because at some point trademark may be rejected and you'll be out of brand registry as well, right?
0: Yeah, and you got to remember, brand registry is like, is nothing. Brand registry is just a scheme that Amazon invented, right? And Amazon, albeit they are like one of the biggest, most powerful organizations on the planet, it's still just their thing. It's not law. It's not, that's not a trademark. Exactly. It's really useful for using Amazon's platform, but it's not a trademark.
1: So for the listener's benefit, do not even consider selling your business or put a, put five minutes into it unless your brand is completely registered and it's over. All right, cool. So now uh, next, what else? So we've got the legal side covered. The growth is there. The profitability is good. The adjusted, the picture looks good. Uh, what else are you looking for?
0: we want to encourage sellers and this is why we work we don't just like take a business to market like straight away we'll work with sellers if they're ready to go to market straight away great but we'll we'll work with sellers over a period of time you know many many months to get them where they need to be and one of the things we encourage them to do is make their business highly transferable you know a new a buyer wants to pick up your business and drop it into their existing setup that means that your business is highly efficient you're making use of automation tools where you can you have outsourced where you can both internally and externally so by that i mean outsourcing to external organizations like agencies to run certain side parts of your business and outsourcing internally to a team you've built usually of freelancers very often abroad in the philippines for instance who will be working on the day-to-day tasks so that you can have the vision and work on the business and not in the business. And the new owner could inherit this entire setup. It's highly efficient. It runs. And they're very happy to pick that up and roll with it.
1: So in your experience, Ben, which one is more valuable if there is any difference? A company that has built this operation with an in-house team, they're doing everything in-house, versus outsourced, outsourced to different uh, agencies slash providers slash VAs?
0: So it's not quite as clear cut as that because it depends what you mean by internal. Because if you've built a team, but technically they're all freelancers, but they are working you know, exclusively for you. They are your team, but they are all VAs, if you want to call them that.
1: Well, when I say internal, I mean strictly there on your payroll.
0: Yeah. So that depends on the appetite of the buyer to take on employees. And many of them don't want to do that.
1: Oh, my God. This is a big point.
0: Yes, it is. We yes. just uncovered. But it's incredible. Yeah,
1: anybody listening, you know, outsource as much as possible. Yeah. <laughs> it, it is, it, it, it,
0: but, but all is not lost. So a couple things. One, it's quite rare to have that many employees on payroll in e-commerce for the types of businesses that we're talking about, right? It's relatively rare when we do see it. It's when people have their own Mm. warehousing operation, that type of thing. Most of those people who want to sell their business are, or many of them are going to take their team with them onto a new project anyway. The other part of it is that buyers, some will have an appetite to take on employees if the organization is big enough, right? And and it actually merits having employees and they can actually leverage the employees for other brands within their portfolio. But also you can set things up. So you can have a transition period whereby your team continues to work on the brand and for a period of, of X amount of time, and then they're going to go and come with you on your new project, whatever it might be. Um, and if you don't have a project lined up, you know these are things that you need to think about. And it's identifying buyers. And again, that's part of the job of the broker who actually have an appetite to inherit physical employees on the payroll
1: yeah i mean this is i would say to me you cannot really stress this enough if you are building it because a, a lot of businesses also there is this compassion aspect of it right so i'd rather hire somebody and then build that relationship and then make an impact on somebody's life and blah, blah, and then hire more employees rather than just outsource to somebody uh, that I don't even know, I'm not much involved. Uh, So there is that culture. So what we are saying is if you are looking to build a business to sell, then create that infrastructure, the human capital around, uh, not so much by hiring in-house employees, but creating processes that you can then outsource to people or VAs or agencies or providers or anybody that's going to be a lot more attractive package for the buyer because they can decide to keep them or uh, replace them right
0: yeah but you can have you can have both you can still build a culture you know I've worked with there are members of my team who I've worked with since my first brand in 2017 you know, and they're freelancers. They're, they're not employees. They're freelancers technically, um, but we have we 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 are a team, and we have a culture, and we
1: yeah.
0: uh, are loyal to each other. And albeit they're on the other side of the world, we have a, a a great relationship, and so you can have both.
1: Yeah, yeah. So the the loyalty is to you, not to the business, though.
0: Yeah, and that's absolutely fine because absolutely, like, yeah. like most, like many e-commerce entrepreneurs, the whole plan was sell the brand, keep yeah. the team. They stayed with the, with the brand for a period of time. Then they then they came came back with me on new projects, and that's that's great.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it, definitely, what you are suggesting. It definitely is a mindset shift so for some people because yeah, they like is. they like to they like to they don't like to outsource they like to keep it in the house that there's confidentiality issues blah blah so they say no we'd rather hire people and uh, so this is so this is you are saying it goes straight to the value okay so we talked about the, the operational the team aspect uh what else anything else you can share?
0: Uh, We spoke about transferability. I guess the last big one that buyers are looking for is is documentation, right? Meticulous record keeping of everything. You know, you need to be in a position where somebody can say to you, can you find me this document from two years ago? And that means your accounts, your tax filings, your safety certificates for your products, audits of your suppliers, records of third-party inspections of your suppliers, your company certificates, your trademarks that we spoke about, any particular marks that your products need. Like in Europe, they might need a CE mark. In the UK, it might be UKCA mark. They might need special marks for PPE or toys or whatever it might be. Records of everything meticulously filed in a format that makes sense, probably in Google Drive, so that when due diligence rolls around, your life and the life of the buyer is a lot easier. Mm
1: -hmm. How about your playbook? Your yes,
0: yes, your, your, yeah, absolutely. Your operations manual full of standard operating procedures on how to run your business. When you can show that to a buyer during due diligence, suddenly their anxiety levels drop. They're like, oh, great. We know how to run this business. We got a playbook. And that makes a huge difference.
1: Yeah, I tell people. So, in fact, we had uh, a gentleman from uh, Carbon Six Yep. that uh, I mentioned to you when we were talking. So he uh, he actually built an Amazon seller and then sold it. And then he built an Amazon tool software company, sold it to Carbon Six. And Carbon Six said, come run our mergers and acquisitions. So, uh, and he happened to be on our show and we spent the entire show, talking about SOPs, how to do it, because his point was and we didn't actually choreograph anything, and we don't, there is no scripting in this show, we just uh, we just nailed down how we're going to start Uh, so uh, you know, we just started talking and and I asked, okay how do you increase the value of your business and how do you tell us, you know you've been through both sides of it as a provider as well as a seller, and we just ended up talking about how to build SOPs, what kind of an impact. And, and there again, this, the message was very simple. Do not take as building SOPs, writing the instructions as a chore. They yeah. are not. They are part of running the business. Yeah. And yeah. they are part of building the business, right?
0: Yeah, and as you're doing it, do it with joy. Joy that a you're getting things systemized so that other people can do things, and you can focus on more important stuff. And b it's adding value to your business.
1: Yeah, yeah. For for uh, the listeners' benefit, you know, I would definitely urge you to check Troy. Troy Johnston is his name. Yeah, uh, he's uh, yeah he's one he's one, he was one of my guests. Uh, a great gentleman. And if you really want actionable, you know, steps, well, how do I how do I do this? Just go listen and then take notes. It tells you exactly how to build your playbook. And you are saying that that's that actually makes the deal go. I'm gonna make a guess. You tell me if I'm right. It makes the deal go faster, right? It
0: it it, it does because when when you're prepared well for due diligence by having all these meticulous records, your life is easier. The buyer's life is easier. So it's faster, but also they're much more impressed because when they look at everything you've got and it's really well organized with a ribbon on top, you know, they look at businesses all the time, which they look inside and it's a complete mess. So they're much more willing to pay more for a business that is, is much better organized and going to be easier to run. And when, you know, when Bob in Acquisitions is presenting your business to his investment committee and they've got a choice of several and yours is the one that looks fantastic with this operations manual and all your meticulous records, guess which one they're willing to spend their money on.
1: Exactly, yeah. It's a no-brainer. So it, it, it increases your value. It takes away the anxiety. It makes the deal run much faster. It uh, also instantly, it, it puts the trust... Uh, at a uh pre- you know which is a, at a premium because they don't know you they're interested in the business but they're looking at information and when you put that in there you know that you, you are telling them I know yep. how to run this business anybody can run this business we don't just wing it right
0: yeah yep.
1: yeah absolutely this is great so okay so we covered so you said lastly so there's a few other things that I want to uh, bring up and then see what your take uh, on them. Uh, First of all, selling a handful of SKUs in large quantity versus a diverse group of SKUs in smaller quantity.
0: Uh, I prefer a handful of SKUs in a large quantity, provided that the handful is big enough. You know, I'd I'd like to see at least four. Mm. Um, And they need to make sense. They'd be cohesive. Um, Yeah,
1: and what is the top line when you say we selling more, what is that critical amount that a business has to be achieving in order to qualify as a potential candidate?
0: Um, to be honest, we want to see your, rather than looking at the top line, I'd say, let's look at the SDE. So if people want to do that back of the envelope calculation I mentioned before, but if, you know, we really want to see a minimum SDE of a couple of hundred grand. Couple um, hundred
1: grand. Or yeah. for the year.
0: For for 12 months, yeah. For I mean, smaller months. businesses can be sold, um, yeah. but it is actually, it, it is harder to sell a smaller it business. But our buyers out there who will buy a smaller business, you know, it can be done. Um, yeah. We closed one recently. But really, generally speaking, need to be at least a couple hundred grand.
1: So Ben, let's call that a uh, quarter of a million. That's what you should be netting every year on your private label. What would that be valued as? We're recording this in September of 2022. God knows what's going to happen in the future.
0: Multiples have taken a hit across this year. Yeah. Um, However, multiples have stayed strong for really great brands with a solid brand identity. But right now, you're getting a quarter of a million SDE. We're probably looking at between three and three and a half times that. Three to
1: three. And And
0: I I think if somebody is telling you more than that, then either they're um <laughs> smoking something <laughs> smoking something or that particular business has something very special about it
1: yeah okay all right cool so okay next question is traffic diversity yeah
0: yeah um you know the more the fewer the more baskets you have for your eggs the the stronger the position of your business, right? You know, buyers don't want to buy a risky business. So if you have diverse sources of traffic for your business, whether that's driving it to Amazon or driving it to your own website, then the business is less risky and therefore a more attractive proposition. And if you do have a significant amount of your sales coming through your website, but all of the traffic is coming from one Facebook ads account, then that's pretty risky because what if your ads account gets banned or a specific ad gets banned or the rules on advertising your products change or Facebook's algorithm changes, and we've seen a huge change in Facebook's algorithm recently. Oh yeah, yeah. We have a client who had to kind of basically start all over again yeah. um, because most of the traffic was coming from uh, Facebook ads, and then there was the the iOS change, and you know, every, a lot of stuff happened. Um, so the more baskets you have, the better, and that's not that's not just for traffic. You know, that's for sales channels, that's for sure, yeah. uh, internationalization, etc.
1: So as far as the the, the general structure. so let's say that you built your business and now they are going to acquire and the sale goes through. What is the best way to set up the seller central account? because you know you, you are going to give up the seller central account, right?
0: Most times? yes. Um, yes, nine times out of 10. Um, so the best way is to have one seller central account for your brand obviously there will be if you're selling in the uk and mainland europe and the us and mexico and canada there are different international accounts associated with that that's all fine but it needs to be ideally one brand per login right because that brand you know nick's brand will be associated with nick's company llc right Mm -hmm. and then if you have another brand nick's brand number two will be associated with Nick's company number two, LLC. makes everything much neater and tidier from a legal perspective to to tease out the data, trying to pull out different brands from a seller central account and determine the the numbers associated with each brand can be a real pain.
1: So if if a company has multiple brands, like for example, take Procter & Gamble, right? They have many, many brands. So you're suggesting if Procter & Gamble was going to sell they would have to set up a separate seller central account for each brand
0: yes although you know procter and gamble it's a completely different ball yes yes
1: i'm just giving uh, Um,
0: but yes that is that is essentially what i'm saying yeah so if you are sitting there with a brand and you've got an idea for a new brand start a new account you are allowed to do that you you have to present amazon with all the information that they request yeah, but you yeah. can do that. You can have a different. Do account. it
1: ahead of time. Don't yeah. just go signing up for an account, right? So yeah,
0: get out, get all your ducks in a row, and then sign up for your account. And that's well, that
1: means setting up another LLC, another. Yes, it does.
0: Yep, and, I, and but I think actually in the long run, it makes your life easier because you're not trying to tease apart different data sets, right? And your accountant, you should be working with a great accountant who understands e-commerce, should be able to very easily, you know, you have one cloud-based accounting software account, zero or QuickBooks, whatever you use. But it's
1: two tax returns, two two sets of professional fees and all that stuff, right?
0: Quite possibly, yeah. But your accountant, your accountant should be giving you a bulk discount for for, for starters, right? (laughs) But that's just the cost of doing business. Yeah. So actually the economies of scale are it's gonna be cheaper to run two businesses because you're gonna benefit from probably a discount on having two, right?
1: Exactly. Yeah, yeah. I mean it, it's uh, look, this is the way that will get that will secure the highest value and then make any transition easy, smooth. You just give up, you you're basically selling the seller central account, and if they like plus it may actually complicate if you have multiple brands in one account, maybe they're not interested in one brand. So now you may want to continue with that. But if you sell the Seller Central, then you know, it, it creates yeah.
0: more we, problems. We, we do see cases where there's like an account which has got the main brand, and then there's a few products with a sub-brand that's trickling sales in here and there. And- that's fine we can absorb that because the buyer is not interested in that other brand it was a failed yeah. venture for example
1: but if yeah. you want to keep that to yourself after selling the business then that's obviously not going to be possible it's going to be very uh
0: you could set up a new account and sell those products on that new account um but it's it's not really an issue we come across very often at all
1: yeah yeah okay all right well this was great Ben. so Uh, Tell us a little bit about yourself. Let's learn about you. So, you know, I introduced you uh, as, you know, making megabucks. But tell us where you grew up and uh, give us some information about who you are.
0: Yeah, thanks. Sure. So uh, I grew up in northeast Scotland. I'm still here now. Um, I grew up just north of a, a city called Aberdeen, which is well known in the oil industry. It's like the oil place. In in Scotland, I guess Houston is probably the oil place in the US. Aberdeen is the oil place in Europe. And so there's a lot of Americans here. Um, my parents came here for oil. And um, Scotland is a beautiful place with great nature. And I became very interested in nature. And I ended up studying zoology and then ecology. And I worked in oil, the oil industry as the ecology guy. My job was to make sure that uh, the oil guys didn't chuck chemicals in the sea. And um, I enjoyed that. And you know, I'm an outdoorsy guy. I paddleboard every, not every day, but I, I paddleboard when I can. I live in a little little seaside town with a beach. Um, I, I got into e-commerce in a pretty random way. Back in 2016, I, I had a heart problem and I had to stop work and stop my fitness hobbies. So no more boxing, no more CrossFit, no more lifting heavy weights. while I recovered. I'm fine now. But I was pretty bored. So I decided to start a fitness brand to keep me um. Motivated and occupied, and it turned out I was pretty good at it. And eventually, I quit my job, and three years later, I sold the business for quite a lot of money.
1: Wow! So you had quite a journey. So I would have thought that you would have stayed in oil business since that's your natural uh, habitat, right? Why did you move away from that?
0: I didn't know that I had an entrepreneurial spark inside me until this, you know potentially life-changing event when i got pretty pretty unwell with a heart issue
1: so what was that what was that like tell us i mean you say i didn't know what happened that you realized that you had this
0: well it started as a hobby a bit of fun that might earn me some extra pocket money but would just keep me give me something to do and i imagined i'll just i'll sell these products to gyms right and i'll start with my local crossfit gym and we'll see where we go and then I was like, oh, maybe I should set up a website. And then I was Googling around and found out, oh, you can sell stuff on Amazon. It's not just Amazon that sells on Amazon. Other people can sell on Amazon. We'll give that a try. And as, as strangers on the internet who I didn't know started to buy my stuff, I got this feeling of, well, this is really cool. I created something and other people want to give me money for it. And it became, I was hooked. And... Um, and I became an entrepreneur. And now I guess I'm a serial entrepreneur.
1: So growing up, you must have had some things that were kind of indication of that, because that doesn't just fall on your head, right? You know, it's always been there.
0: I guess it was always there under the surface. I didn't know it. Um, my, both my grandfathers were entrepreneurs. Um, my mother's father owned a sports shop and a toy shop and my dad's father who unfortunately uh died before i was born he owned multiple businesses including like a removals business and various other things a garage like a a, a, like a mechanics garage and um so i guess it skipped a generation and then came back to me um my scientific background helped too right because like instead of just like randomly learning As I went, I applied like a scientific process, like test something, see what happens, analyze the results, try again. And that helped too.
1: Well, I mean, people always have that argument about going to college. Why do I need to go to college? Well, nothing you learn in college really on day-to-day basis, you you use it. What college does is it, it, it conditions your thinking, right? It, it conditions you to approach situations in different ways. Plus, it gives you a great network of people that you can later in life, uh, you know, call on and whatever. That's really all it is. So that that's why I'm hearing uh, you talk about when you say, you know, going to your education just gave you that 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 roadmap to approaching uh, an unknown. But w- what I'm really f- finding uh, fascinating is like, you know, you had no idea that you were sitting on this, this incredible talent. And as yet, I- I'm sure when you think back, do you, do you remember certain times like certain urges and then, but instead you thought, did that happen?
0: Yeah, definitely. Uh, like, so the original idea for the first brand I had, which was called Beast Gear, I must have had it like four years before I actually did anything. Um, it was the end of a, of a training session at CrossFit actually. And, and one of the guys said, oh, we beasted it today. And I was like, we beasted it. Beast, beast, beast gear. That would be a cool name for a brand. And I did nothing. And there was another time, um, probably shortly after that, that I had this idea to start this business helping Americans plan their holidays to Scotland. And, and I, I did nothing about it. And I'm, I'm glad I didn't. Um, I don't think I would have good, done a good job of it. It was shortly after listening to the four hour work week. Actually, I listened to the audiobook of that and was like, yeah, I should do this. Um, Cause I thought it'd be relatively hands off. Uh, so yeah, there were, there were times when I, I'd had ideas, but I hadn't, I hadn't done anything about it, but it was having this health issue that, gave me the the motivation, the time, the reason to go and do something.
1: So when you decided not to do anything, was that like laziness, habit, or afraid?
0: Probably just feeling a little bit um overwhelmed. I don't I don't know how to do this. I'm not qualified to do this. I don't know where to start. And then the difference when I actually did something was I just gave myself permission to just try shit I was totally unqualified to do.
1: Well, you just said something that's so true. You gave yourself permission. So nobody else has that right but you, right? Except that we never give ourselves the permission to do the things that we we really want to do.
0: Absolutely. And so that's the thing, right? I had no business experience, no marketing experience, no product development experience, but I just went and tried. And so that's what everybody should do. You know, if you have an idea, just get started and see what happens.
1: Well, you are the person that that everybody should look up to and say look why am i not giving myself permission to do this idea to go after this whatever here is a guy who finally did it and he made it very successful and changed his life even though he suffered uh you know a big blow and don't wait because there's no tomorrow right tomorrow is today so
0: yeah absolutely give yeah.
1: yourself i say give yourself permission to be successful <laughs> love that yeah that's <laughs> and that's what you did
0: yeah yeah that's- i think that's the way to sum it up
1: yeah great so ben give us your contact information we'll obviously put that on the website and with the episode wherever it shows up but uh, how sure.
0: can- yeah um so our website is ecombrokers.co.uk it's a UK domain, but we're all over the place and we have a deal director, John, sitting in Chicago. Um, you can email me, Ben, at ecombrokers.co.uk. I'm on pretty much every social media channel. My uh handle is at Ben Leonard Pro. econ Brokers is on most channels. Ecombrokers. Um, those are the main places.
1: Great. Great. So I'm sure people will reach out. So anybody who is looking to sell their business or contemplating on building a business, well, there's your guy. He'll give you the roadmap. You listen to the show Uh, in entirety. You already have that roadmap. So uh, reach out to Ben. And this was a great pleasure, Ben. It was great to have you. Thanks, Nick.
0: Really appreciate it.
1: Great. And that brings us to the end of another episode. And I'll see you on the next one. Thank you for tuning in to
0: today's episode. Be sure and subscribe, rate, and review our show. And be sure and share an episode with a friend. And thank you so much for being with us today. We'll see you next week here on Amazon Legends.